to you about uh, three verses there. We'll start with verse number 12, and we'll be reading through verse number 14. Colossians 1, verses 12 through 14. giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us, everybody say delivered us, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Everybody say his blood. Even the forgiveness of of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Again, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Lord, this morning we are so thankful for the mercy tree. We realize without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. We realize that your blood covers a multitude of sins and we're thankful for that. Thank you, Lord, for grace. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. For we all need grace and we all need mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, and I'm asking you, Lord, today that you would have your way and your will in this service. Lord, speak to me and speak through me. Move me out of the way, and Lord, accomplish in and through me just exactly what you want. Lord, I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to be used of you for your honor and your glory. I can do nothing of myself, and I want to do nothing of myself. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, do your work in this place that only you can do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Christmas time in the United States of America, there's a large focus, a big focus, a huge focus on gift giving. There's no doubt about that. I was reading the Consumer Report just this week, and I looked at some statistics from this holiday season that absolutely blew me away. Let me read them to you. Holiday retail purchases surpassed by a long shot, $1 trillion this holiday season. Now, I want you to think about that just a moment. $1 trillion. We throw around these words like trillion so many times. And I think that uh, we really don't even understand what we're saying. At least I don't even have the understanding or the concept of a million dollars. I can't even imagine that amount of money. It's amazing. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you this morning just how much $1 trillion is. If you were going to spend $1 trillion over the span of 100 years, how much money would you have to spend every day? I want you to think about this just a minute. $27,378,507.90 you would have to spend every day if you were going to spend a $1 trillion in a year's time. And we as Americans have spent that much just in one Christmas season buying gifts for our loved ones. The average household in the U.S. spends about $1,600 a year just at Christmas time, just for Christmas presents. Now, I know that's not, um, the 1,600 average is not the ones that I see on the commercial buying their husband or their wife or Mercedes, but uh, that would certainly cause, who are those people, by the way? I mean, <laughs> I, I just, uh, I guess I'll have to apologize to my wife. I don't know that that's ever going to be true in our household, but I, I do see it on the commercial, and I guess that would certainly make the average go up. But the average household 
uh, cost or spends about $1,600 a year just on Christmas gifts. That's amazing. Now, I want you to understand something this morning, folks. I'm not at all against gift giving. I think that gift giving is a very important way to celebrate Christmas time because how many of you understand really all we're doing when we're giving gifts at Christmas time is mimicking what God the Father has done for us. At Christmas time, God the Father gave the gift of His Son to those that He loved. And that's what we do at Christmas time. We give gifts to those that we love. So we're really just following His lead, and it's a great way to celebrate the holiday season. I think it can be excessive. I think many times it is excessive, and that can be harmful. But um, I, I don't have a problem with gift giving. I think that's a great thing. I do want you to understand, though, and that's what we've been talking about all the month of December, is the gift that God the Father has given us. It, it cannot be compared to any of the gifts that was, uh, that was bought with that trillion dollars we spoke of just a minute ago. None of those gifts together um, can compare to the gift that was given by God the Father on that first Christmas there in Bethlehem. He has made all the difference. Folks, do you know that Jesus is the hope of the world? If you believe that, say amen. Well, if he's the hope of the world, if we don't have Jesus, we don't have any hope. So I'm thankful for the gift that God gave. Do you believe Jesus is the light of the world? Let me ask you, do you believe Jesus is the light of the world? <laughs> Absolutely, me too. If we don't have Jesus, we're still in the dark. That's why the Apostle Paul speaks there in Colossians 1.13 and says, He who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Jesus, by His finished work, listen, He's delivered us from the power of the darkness. And I'm so very thankful for the gift that was given that Christmas time. Now, that first Christmas. Now, uh, I'm just afraid that a lot of times what happens, we don't understand the importance of the power and the power of the gift that God the Father has given. Uh, it reminds me of a story I heard one time about a man who was trying his best to find the perfect gift for his father. His father had everything that he needed and most of what he wanted, and he didn't know what he could get him that he would be really excited about. He wanted that perfect gift, Christmas gift for him. And so he thought and he thought, and he was walking around the mall one day and walked past a pet store. And so he just walks up in the pet store, and as he's walking around in there, he finds something very special. He walks by a cage with a yellow parakeet in it. Now, this wasn't just any yellow parakeet. As the man walked by, the parakeet said to him, hey, how are you? And he, the longer he stood there, the more he figured out the bird could say a whole lot more than, hello, how are you? He could even sing the Star Spangled Banner. And so he thought, man, I'll tell you what, my dad's got everything he needs, most of what he wants, but one thing he does not have is a yellow parakeet that can sing the Star Spangled Banner. So he bought the parakeet, had it wrapped up, and sent FedEx to his father's house. Um, and so, because uh, he lived a long ways away, and he couldn't wait for Christmas morning to call his dad and see how he liked his gift. So he calls him up. And he says, Dad, how did you like the gift that I sent you? He said, oh, son, it was fantastic. Man, it's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. He said, I put it in the spoker your sister got me, and it's the most delicious thing I've ever put in my mouth. See, he didn't understand the importance of the gift. And I think a lot of times that's exactly what happens with us, even as Christians. We really don't understand the importance and the power 
of the gift that God the Father has given that first Christmas time there in Bethlehem. He gave us hope. He gave us light in the midst of darkness. He gave us grace and mercy that has come through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. And I'm so very thankful for that, and you ought to be too. We've been doing our best by the study of the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the month of December to explain the inexplainable, undescribable gift that God has given to us in the person of His Son. And we said if we're going to talk about the gift that God has given, G has to stand for grace. If you believe that this morning, say amen. Aren't you thankful for the amazing matchless grace of God? His undeserved favor toward us. None of us deserved Jesus coming and dying on a cross, doing for us what we couldn't do. But I'm thankful because God loved us, He showed us undeserved favor. He showed us grace in the person of His Son. So G has to stand for grace. And then last week, if you remember, we talked about incarnation. We looked in Matthew chapter number 1 at how uh, the Bible says Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We understand that He is God with us. He is God in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He is God for us because we are now the adopted sons and daughters of Almighty God. And I'm thankful this morning He is God above us for He is still on the throne. Can you say amen? He's God with us. He is Emmanuel, and that's only possible because of Christmas, and that's what we're celebrating this time of year. We've got to talk about grace, we must talk about incarnation, but this morning I want to talk to you about forgiveness. Forgiveness. Right, now listen to me, folks. If you're really going to understand biblical forgiveness, you've got to understand why you need it. I had a dear pastor, older gentleman years ago, who looked at me after a message that I'd preached, if that's what you wanted to call it. Um, I look back now on some of the stuff I preached and look at some of my old sermons and I think, Lord, why didn't you just kill me? I don't even know why you let me stand up and say that stuff. <laughs> he, he was helping me after one of the sermons that I'd preached and, and, I, and, and, and I, I'm so thankful for it. He said, son, I want to tell you something. He said, I agree with what you said tonight. He said, I agree with everything you said as far as the scripture that you used and the points that you made. He said, I agree with all that. He said, but let me tell you this. If you're ever going to get somebody saved, you got to get them lost first. And man, ever since he said that, I've remembered it because it's absolute truth. If people don't see their need for a Savior, then why would they want to be saved? If people don't see how hopeless and helpless they truly are in their sin, then why would they want their sins forgiven? Do you know the Bible says that because of our sin, we are separated from God who is holy? Do you know that? Romans chapter 3, brother, if you will please put this on the screen for me. In verse number 23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now I don't care what pew you're sitting in or what pulpit you're preaching from. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When the Bible says all, that's exactly what it means. Romans 3 and verse number 10 says there is none righteous, not even one. <laughs> There's nobody who does everything right. Not a one of us. Now, what is right is according to God's standard of right and wrong. Amen? 
What does it mean to sin? How how do you define sin? Well, the Bible defines it for us. Let's look for just a moment over to 1 John chapter number 3, and I want to share with you something there that will be very important for all of us to see. 1 John chapter 3, and look down at verse number 4. Watch this. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So let me ask you something. According to the Word of God, how do we define sin? Well, 1 John 3 and 4 says that sin is transgression or breaking of God's law. See, God has told us a lot of things that we should do and a lot of things that we shouldn't do. He's told us that we should honor our father and our mother. He's told us that we should keep him in first place in our life. He'd be the, he should be the first priority in our life. There should be no other gods before him. He should keep the chief place. He's told us a lot of things we should do, and then he's told us some things that we shouldn't do. He said, thou shalt not lie. <coughs> thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He tells us, things we should do, and the truth is, some of us have not done the things that we should do. Can you say amen? Matter of fact, if we're honest, all of us have not done the things that we should do. I'm ashamed to admit it, but there are times in my life when I don't keep God in His chief place. I don't keep God in His will for my life as the first priority for me. I don't honor him and serve him like I should many times because I want to do my own thing and go my own way. I've not always honored my father and my mother like the Bible says that I should in God's perfect precious law. I've done some things that I shouldn't do. We've all done some, not done some things that we should do. That's sins of omission. But I've also done some sins of commission. I mean, I've, I've done some things that God explicitly said I shouldn't. How, is there anybody in this building who's never told a lie? I didn't think so. I can't raise my hand either. If I did, that would be my next lie. I mean, we've, we've all broken God's law and done things that he said we shouldn't. That's sin of commission. You say, now wait a minute, Brother Israel. You mean just by telling a, a little white lie that separates me from God? Well, first of all, there are no little white lies. Sin is sin as God sees it. We want to say one sin is greater than another, but it's not, really. I mean... It all separates us from God. And Jesus died for the little white lie just like he died for the murder. It's sin that put him on the cross. But really what we sometimes try to do, we, we, we say, well, hey, maybe we have sin. Maybe we have broken God's law. But I'm really not that bad of a guy. I'm really not that bad of a girl. I mean... And what we want to do is look around us and say, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than she is, or I'm better than he is. 
I'm better than the guy down the road that won't provide for his family. I'm better than him. That's how we think. I'm better than the guy, uh, you know, that, that, that abuses his wife and children. I'm, I'm, I'm better than the one who commits the armed robbery or, or just you, you name it, whatever it is. I, I may not be perfect, but I'm not that bad. There's a big problem with that. Let me tell you why. I'm not going to be judged according to someone else's standard. And nobody else is going to be judged according to my standard of what's right, what's wrong, what I do or what I don't do. But the truth is, we are all found guilty when we hold ourselves up to God's standard. All of us. We see very quickly that we all stand in need of a Savior. I see I need forgiveness. God's standard is so perfect and so holy. Do you realize that he sees lust as adultery? See, a lot of people say, well, I, I may have told a little white lie, but I've never cheated on my wife. I've never, I've never committed murder. I mean, that's really the big sins, ain't it, Pastor? Well, let, let's see what God's Word says about that. Let's see what Jesus himself says about that. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 28. Watch what the Bible teaches. Do you see it here? I love this. Matthew 5, 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. God's standard is so holy. God's standard is so perfect. God's standard is so righteous that he sees lust as adultery. So can you still say you're better than this one or that one? By that standard, by this standard, it puts us all in the same boat, don't it? Not only does God's word say that lust is considered adultery according to his standard, but it says hate is considered murder. 1 John 3, 15, watch this. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 15, the Bible says, Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And we know that no murder hath eternal life abiding in him. How can any of us be righteous if God's standard is so perfect and so holy that he considers lust, adultery, and hatred murder? The answer is none of us can. Regardless of how good you think you are. Regardless of how better you think you are than the guy down the road. Folks, we all come, become guilty before God who is holy. And because we are guilty, we deserve condemnation. We came here sinners, born with a sinful nature. We have sinful attitudes. We choose to do sinful actions and displease God. We, we need a Savior. Now, the good news is a Savior has been sent. 
And it couldn't be just any Savior. I'm reminded of the Old Testament foreshadowing of the coming Christ. In the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was being held captive in Egypt, if you remember, the way they got out of their captivity was by the blood of the Lamb. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that happened before that, all the plagues of frogs and uh, the, the plague of lice and, you know, all those plagues that God sent leveled against the Egyptians to cause his people to be set free. But none of them worked. What worked was the blood of the Lamb. That's what set the people free. And what the Bible says, if you go back and read in the book of Exodus, Moses, having been um, uh, told by God, he, he says to the people, he says, what we're going to do is each family, each house is going to kill a lamb. And when they kill that lamb, it can't just be any lamb. It can't be a sick lamb. It can't be a crippled lamb. It's got to be the most perfect lamb you have. As a matter of fact, he says, a lamb without spot or blemish. And when you kill that lamb, what you're going to do is take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of your house. He said, for tonight, the death angel is going to come through the land of Egypt and every house that does not have the blood applied, the death angel will enter in and the firstborn would be killed. And so the people of faith, what did they do? They did exactly what God said. They trusted in what God had said through his man Moses. They went and did what the Lord told them to do. They took the lamb without spot or blemish, the most perfect one they had. They killed it, applied the, the, the blood to the doorpost, and by the blood of the lamb they were saved and delivered. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Moses provided the Lamb in Exodus. Jesus became the Lamb in the New Testament. He became the Lamb first and foremost by His perfect birth. He was born of a virgin not being born of the seed of man, but of God. He was born perfect so that he might live perfect. Folks, listen to me. He lived 33 and a half years in sinless perfection upon this earth. And he was born perfect to live perfect so that he might be the Lamb of God without spot and without blemish. See, the truth is I can't die for sin. If I did say I was going to die for sin, my death would not be acceptable. It would not be suitable. Why? Because I've got sin myself. God who is perfect requires a perfect sacrifice. Now I've heard people say, well if God is all-knowing, if God is omnipotent, if God is all-powerful in every way, then why couldn't God just say sins are forgiven? Why did it take a sacrifice? Because God is holy. Yes, He's omnipotent. Yes, He's omniscient. Yes, he's omnipresent. He's all those things. But he's also holy. And a holy God can't just wink at sin and sweep it under the rug. A holy God has to have sin paid for and forgiven. And the only way sin could truly be paid for is with the perfect sacrifice of the perfect human, the God-man who came 
to do for us what we couldn't do. Is this making sense to you? That's why he was born perfect. That's why he lived perfect. That's why the Bible says in the book of 1 John that he became the propitiation for our sin. One of my favorite preachers is a man by the name of, uh, of Vance Pittman. He was preaching once at a men's conference I was at. And while he was preaching, someone was standing off to his left uh, doing sign language for those who were deaf in, deaf in the crowd and watching online. And he was preaching from the book of 1 John on the propitiation, on Jesus being our propitiation. And, and I'll never forget it. He was preaching through that verse. He read through the verse, said the word propitiation. Then he stopped and just looked at the guy that was doing the sign language. And he kept waiting, kept waiting, and kept waiting. And he looked at all of us and he said, I was just waiting to see how he was going to sign propitiation. <laughs> because it's a big word with a big meaning. What does it mean? It means suitable and acceptable. Jesus is the suitable and acceptable perfect sacrifice made for us. I can't die for sin and you can't die for sin because I'm a sinner. Jesus who was perfect, who is perfect, could, and he did. Now think about it. If Jesus is perfect, then he's the only one who can truly condemn. Sometimes we get on our high horse and get too big for our britches. And we want to condemn others, don't we? We want to climb up on our spiritual high horse and look down on everybody else and think about how holy we are when the truth is we can't rightly do that. We can't justly do that because I've got some stuff I'm working through too. Have you ever noticed how someone else's sin looks worse than yours? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to spot someone else's sin but sometimes it's difficult to spot your own? Let me tell you why that is. Because of that sinful nature we all have. Sinful nature that is led by foolish, selfish pride. We can try to get on our spiritual high horse and condemn others, but the truth is the only one who could ever rightly, justly condemn anybody is the one who was born perfect and the one who lived perfect. Look in John chapter 3 and verse number 17. Watch this. I love John 3, 16. I know that you do too. John chapter 3, verse 17, though, is just as powerful, just as amazing. Watch what it tells us here. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the only one who could condemn wouldn't condemn the only one who could righteously, justly look down on everybody else didn't look down on us but helped us up. <laughs> he saved us by the shedding of his own blood because the scripture says right back in the book of Colossians that we have obtained redemption 
by his precious, powerful blood. Let's go to that and we're done. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear, dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. Watch this now. Even the forgiveness of sin. Sin is what separates us from God who is holy. And the only way we can be reconciled or made right with God so that we might have relationship with him is if that sin problem is taken care of. And the only way your sin problem and my sin problem can ever be taken care of is through the shed blood of Christ. And you say, now wait a minute, Brother Israel. Wait a minute. Now, you, that may work for some, but it ain't never going to work for me. You don't know what I've, been, what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know me. Well, let me tell you something. You don't know me either. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. And I'm telling you this. Listen to me very plainly. If Jesus can save me, if Jesus will forgive me, he'll forgive you too. He'll save you too. The scripture says in the book of 1 Peter that the blood of Christ is able to cover a multitude of sins. Mine and yours. If you get right down to it, that's truly the message of Christmas. The gift that was given came to forgive, not to condemn. The Bible says that when we place faith in Christ, the blood of Jesus is applied to our heart and life. So that now, listen, for those who are in Christ, for those who have been born again, when God the Father sees you, who no longer sees you in your sin, but he sees you as the righteousness of his son. Just like all the way back in, in Exodus, when the death angel came, he saw the blood. <laughs> and the blood made all the difference. The blood was about life, <laughs> and it still is. When the blood has been applied to your heart and life by faith in Christ, God sees you as the righteousness of his son. We have redemption through his shed blood, even the forgiveness of sin. I want to talk to you about grace. I love to talk about grace. love to preach about it. I like talking about the incarnation at Christmas time and at other times too, not just at Christmas time. Oh, but folks, I'm so thankful. I've got the great privilege today of telling you about forgiveness. He can forgive you. He can change you. He can make you right with God the Father. Forgiveness is found in Christ. Everybody stand together. Directly following this time of preaching, we're going to take our Christmas communion. Now, the Apostle Paul said something to the church at Corinth. He said that many of them were drinking of the cup, taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. And because they took of the Lord's Supper unworthily, he said, some of you have got sick. Some of you are sleeping, and that means they died. 
They died in Christ. You say, well, brothers, what does it mean to drink of the cup unworthily? Let me tell you what it means. If you've not yet trusted in Jesus as your personal Savior, then this Lord's Supper is not for you yet. But I've got good news for you. Today, right here, right now, this morning, you can trust in Jesus. You can be forgiven of your sin. That which separates you from God can be taken care of and you can be reconciled to the Father and have a relationship with Him. Do you know it? If you need Him, He's able today. He's able today to seek and to save those which are lost. Now that makes you unworthy if you have not yet trusted in Jesus. Let me tell you something else that makes you unworthy. If you have trusted in Jesus, but you've got unconfessed sin in your life. Because remember, when he's writing to that church at Corinth, he's writing to believers. And he said, some of you, listen, you, you've gotten sick and some of you have even died because you're not doing this like God says do it. It's a very serious, very solemn thing that we're about to partake of. So if you are a child of God and you've got things in your life that you know are unpleasing unto, unto him, right now's the time to get rid of that. Guess what? The one who saved you by his grace keeps you by his grace. And he who forgave you then still forgives you now. The Bible says if you confess your sin to him, he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want to give you a short time of invitation before we partake of the communion supper. And if you need to get something right with the Lord, now's the time. I'd love to pray with you. It's always my great privilege to pray with you as your pastor. If you need to be born again, I want to, I want to speak with you. I want to pray with you. Not that I can save you or walk in this aisle saves you. I just want to introduce you to the one who has saved me that can save you. And we'll do that through the word of God. So if you need to come for anything, in any way, you come during this time of invitation. Brother, you got that for us? Play, please.